This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It is Saturday, it's the 22nd of April 2023. Coming up, he's a blind lawyer. He's an advocate for disabled people across Kenya. And he's also a blind car reviewer. Hmm. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Uh, no Sean Priest today, uh, because this interview that you're going to hear today is actually one I recorded a couple of weeks back for Double Tap TV. And if you're watching our Double Tap TV episodes, you might have seen uh, Julio Supercharge on the show. He is a blind car reviewer from Nairobi in Kenya, but he has got a much bigger story to tell than that. And uh, that is what we're going to be focusing on today on the show. I'm so pleased to bring this interview to you. It is uh, quite lengthy. It does take up the whole show. But I think that's what this show is all about. And it's why we're daily here uh, at AMI Audio, because we can allow ourselves to delve into topics and really delve into some interesting areas. Uh, now, I will warn you that there are some raw moments in this conversation and there will be references to suicide and I want to make you aware of that in advance but it's a conversation that maybe needs to be told and it's certainly a conversation that needs to be had uh, in our community and I'm glad that Julius Burra, which is actually his real name, Julius Burra, not Julius Supercharged. That was not his christened name. Um, but, you know, he is someone who is open about his life and his experiences. And I'm so glad he's here to share those experiences today. So I want to go right back to the beginning of our conversation because I wasn't quite sure where this conversation was going to go. We sat down and we intended to talk about cars and talk about his love of reviewing cars. That's how I got to know about him on his YouTube channel. But I also wanted to get a sense of what life was like for him as a disabled person in Nairobi, in Kenya. And that is where we start. So I would say, especially for a person with a disability, any kind of a disability, um, there are struggles of trying to fight for our position in the society. But also there has been progress, a lot of it, the past, um, I would say, 10 years. And it's because also the society is embracing disability inclusion. Um, for instance, where I'm working, I work for uh, a non-profit organization called Enable. We are both in um, Washington, D.C. and Kenya, but we serve the whole of Africa. Like we have a conference coming up uh, in, in May, 30th and 31st, and it's, it's a global uh, conference, and we empower blind and visually impaired through assistive technology. But we are trying to branch out to the other disability communities. So the conference especially um, looks at uh, the disability world as a whole. So I would say such organizations and also the government taking steps to ensure that the rights of persons with disabilities are taken care of, it is also proving that there is equality and there are people who are vouching for persons with disabilities. But again, of course, in a society, uh, you have diverse uh, personalities, people from different backgrounds, and not everyone will be sensitized about uh, persons with disabilities or people who are blind. So sometimes I walk on the streets and people will suggest that I go to see a religious leader, come to their church, or uh, see a doctor that they know and they believe that I can see again. So this is very confusing because I have seen before. I was born a sighted child. I don't like saying normal because it seems like persons with disabilities are abnormal. But uh, yeah, um, born sighted, uh, a few of my aunts started noticing that I was looking at people funny, like squinting a lot. And my mom was in denial again. I was barely 10 years, so I was also not aware of what is happening with my body. I used to be very passive-aggressive. Whenever you tell me, oh, you can't see, and then I'll just take it out on me. Um, I used to see it at the very back of the class. So in a, few year, uh, in a few like months, I started coming to the front. And I remember there was this girl um, who was wearing very big glasses, and we used to make fun of her. So I didn't want to be in that same position. So I, I didn't know what was happening. At, at the same time, 
my mom thought I was just being rebellious. And um, um, it got to a place where the school had to call mom. And they they told her, like, um, you need to have Julius checked because um, there is a behavior that is not acceptable to the institution. So I was taken to a few hospitals. There is a very famous hospital for eye, eye, eye care in Kenya called the Kikuyu Eye Unit. So I was taken there. Uh, the doctors, they didn't see the problem. They, they referred me to a few other doctors. And also mom was just taking me to any doctor uh, referred. So um, a few doctors uh, checked me. They didn't see the problem. But one said I had a mental, um, mental disability. So I was taken to a mental school uh, to, like for persons who, are, who have mental issues. And this is because mom fed the doctor a story of uh, me being three years and having cerebral malaria. So uh, at one point I was taken like for checkup and uh, she was told if the, the lights like they go like tink, 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 then um, I'm actually like not okay in the head. And uh, the doctor ran with this and he was like, oh, the, the problem is back or oh, blah, blah, blah. So I was taken to that mental school. And this is where um, I think six months into it, I became blind. So I, the, the way I knew that I'm blind, actually, I, I woke up in the morning, um, felt that it was uh, still dark, went back to sleep. Then around uh, midday, I felt that there was a warmth that, 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 that was coming into the house so, and, and kids playing outside. So trying to find my way, um, hit the wall, and that is where my, my world changed. And we started going to all the hospitals, all the pastors, religious leaders that we could get our hold on. And it was all to just look for cure, treatment, all that. I can't blame mom, but um, because at the time she was just trying to make it right. Uh, if you look at my eyes, you wouldn't tell that I'm blind. It's because the, the, pro, the condition doesn't attack the outer parts of the eye. And that's why even the hospital the, at the beginning initially didn't see the problem because they were looking at the outer part of the eye so my condition is at the back of the eye um, a, a part called retina so that is the part that is damaged and um, so um, second time um, or second they saw the problem now because um, I was taken to a specialist who was dealing with the back of the eye and um, they actually told me that I have maculopathy but again after like a year and a half but this is after like being taken to a school for blind and visually impaired. Um, the, the, the eyesight started coming back. And this is because my body was fighting and there was cell regeneration. So it started getting better. Um, I had been taught how to use Braille, how to navigate with a mobility tool, the white cane, and also how to accept the situation and to readjust to the new reality. Uh, and um, I remember very well, um, I started using a pen and paper again. So I, I, I sort of discarded the, the Braille materials, all of them. I was like, I, I can see again. <laughs> so uh, I, 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 will, I had this site for around seven months, started going down again. So it was like a whole roller coaster of emotions because uh, it started uh, going low. And the, 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 the hospital is keeping tabs on me because the school is predominantly for blind and visually impaired. So the Kikuyu Eye Unit prescribed glasses for me and they are the heavy magnification, they're, they're, they're called the plus size because it's, you add the lenses. So, and the, the, other, the other extreme end is the negatives where you, I think you, you can see far, but you can't see near, so it corrects. But mine was to magnify so that I can like read the book. And I started with positive 14. By the time I was quitting, I was at the tail end of primary uh, education. And I quit at positive 25. And the, the, the eyes were demanding for more magnification. So the doctors told me, it's good if you revert back to doing Braille, because then you will preserve the little sight you have for moving around, uh, seeing people, seeing colors, perceiving the world. So I passed well. I was supposed to join a national school, um, the, like top of the range, but they didn't have 
the, the, the system for people who are blind. I wanted a school where I'll fit in. So I had to go back to uh, the school uh, where I went to primary school and join the high school. But I don't regret it to this day because they got to, I got to be served by people who knows about my conditions because 80%, 90% actually of the students are totally blind. So yeah, I did pure Braille high school from one to form four. Um, then transitioning into campus, this is where my life changed again. And for the good, um, I went from do, using Braille to using soft copy, uh, screen readers and computers. So when I was in Form 3, the organization I work for, this is like a full circle, the organization I work for came to school and they introduced computers for the blind with screen readers. This was like, and I say this with um, a lot of realization, it was like an eye-opener for me. I, 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 it, it actually hit me that people who are blind can actually use a laptop and a computer, a desktop like anyone else this is amazing. This is like opening me up to the world. And at the time, we wouldn't be uh, allowed to the computer room a lot because our time was on crunch because we were nearing the end of uh, high school and we were doing the national exams. So after Form 4, uh, I was very deliberate. I went to do computer lessons, but for the blind. So with the JAWS software, it's a screen reader. Uh, it's an assistive technology. And... Um, so I sharpened my skills and I was, um, I was now very confident going into campus that uh, I would use uh, a laptop instead of using a braille machine. And uh, the government had uh, actually given me special education, but I didn't want to do that. That was like the fifth, sixth option on my list of careers. I wanted to do, my dream career was in film and theater technology, but I couldn't do that because of controlling cameras and being the producer and all that. So second option was international relations and diplomacy. I had to skip that uh, because as a, 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 at the time, trying to convince them that I don't want to do special education, I got to fight a lot with the system. And then I decided, um, how about I do a course that will make a difference in people who are behind me? So I did law. So I got into a university called University of Nairobi, did law, finished. Uh, but this, the period um, when I was doing my undergraduate, that is where I got in touch with all my skill set, passion and skills, um, and also hobbies. I, I started uh, writing poetry a lot, spoken word. Uh, I started dancing a lot, break dancing. I started going for hikes. I started um, with, uh, especially on the automotive industry, I knew I couldn't just get in. Uh, I was severely low vision. I could only see like one meter, stretching two meters when it's really like bright, at the, uh, like midday. <laughs> and uh, I started with a bike, um, rode a bike because I knew like the, the, like the, the mechanisms of changing gears and uh, using the clutch and all that. In and out, I have been a car enthusiast from the time I was really young. So before I lost my sight the first time, I used to draw a lot. And I used to know different cars by how the shapes would present themselves. So I, I never knew like there is an SUV, a sedan, you know, I never knew that a station wagon, but I knew if I draw the silhouette with um, a slim profile, that is a small car. But if I enlarge the bezels, then it's a big car. And I knew, People who are important in their society drive big cars. These are politicians, people who've made it in life. <laughs> and uh, the first time it was like, a, you know, uh, when, when I lost my sight, my sight the first time, it was really like my world caved in because I wanted to really drive. And now in campus, I asked myself, uh, and this is after being told by doctors that actually with how your sight is going on, there's no stagnation. So it might get to a point where you lose it again, but we are not sure. So I asked myself, if it happens again, do I want to be in the same position where I was, where I was saying, I can't do this, I can't do that because now I can't see. Then I took very conscious decisions like steps uh, to make myself autonomous and independent. So I used to walk in Nairobi CBD with the dark shades to just simulate that moment if, 
if at all I become blind again. Uh, because my friends used to let me down a lot. Like if I want to go run errands, uh, they'll tell me, ah, give me an hour or 30 minutes, I'll be there. Then they take like six, seven hours. They come like in the night and they're like, oh, whatever you're going to do, can we go do it tomorrow? I'm like, I can't wait for you. And the errands that I'm doing, actually I'm the constant here and I'm the person who's getting de- disappointed every time. So I wanted to really be self-sufficient. So I taught myself over and above the skills that I've been trained on mobility, orientation, um, approximations and all that distance and all all the learnings that I had uh, gathered in the blind universe, as I call it, I matched that with the sighted world uh, that I was in, even though I was on the other side of the spectrum, being very low vision, but uh, I maximized my, my time. Like I was uh, watching movies this close to the screen to just get, because I'm a big comic fan. So I used to like watch all superhero movies. Uh, my biggest characters are Black Panther, Daredevil, Daredevil, of course, because I resonate like his powers and his abilities and all that. And also the alias of him being a lawyer by day and a vigilante by night, a story for another day. But yeah, so I, at the university, I really consumed a lot of information about cars, manufacturers. I'll take like, say, Rolls Royce. I learn everything from the forefathers to where they are, their event features and all that. Take Lamborghini. Try to understand where is the squabble between Lamborghini and Ferrari? Where did he start? Why do we have uh, supercars that uh, don't venture into like the SUV world? I know nowadays they have the likes of Lamborghini Urus and uh, Rolls-Royce Cullinan like that. But in the past, they were not. And um, it's because my love for cars was very strong. And I wanted to, to have like mental visuals of all the different models that you can think of say Toyota, the Allion, the uh, Sprinter, all that. I wanted to have all that information so that if at all I become blind again, I wouldn't say, oh, I regret not seeing this or that or, you know. So I wanted to be at a vantage point. So I learned a lot. At the time, uh, YouTube wasn't doing good in Kenya. So I decided uh, I can't really start creating content. And I don't want, I don't know what I want to do with it because I was torn apart. I wanted to do fashion. I mean, to fashion a lot. I wanted to do uh, like daredevil activities like uh, skating and all that. So I taught myself how to skate. I was going on hikes. So I wanted like a vlog kind of uh, channel. Then uh, uh, at the KSL, um, so when you finish university, you have to go for a postgraduate diploma uh, in law so that you are certified as a lawyer, an advocate, and you can represent someone in court. So there you go for one year. So got to Kenya School of Law um, at the very tail end. This is where now this happened, being blind for the second time. And it was abrupt, but uh, I would say I had emotionally stacked up myself to to take anything that would come my way. So um, it, wasn't, it wasn't as traumatic as the first time. The first time I tried committing suicide. Second time... I was strong enough. I actually, um, I, I, I became blind three weeks to the bar exams. And I told my friends, uh, I wouldn't defer for anything because I'm, there's nothing that change, that is changing. I'm using a laptop. I, I'm, it's the same information with a screen reader. And I can do the bar exams and then go break the news to my family. Uh, being raised by a single mom and um, she's everything to me. But again, uh, during my university days, I, I fell in love, uh, got a kid. I decided this is not the right time. So I actually abandoned and uh, went my ways. But later on, we are reconnected again. And our love wasn't based on my condition or the fact that I have any kind of disability. That's why it worked out. Um, and we have now two kids together. Uh, they actually cited, yeah. Uh, my second born is turned six months today. So wow. It's really amazing being a father and trying to juggle everything that I'm doing. <laughs> uh, but again, I, ha- I, have to, I, have to, I have to jump in here because, I mean, yeah. honestly, there's so much I could pick up on. I, yeah. I, I, I don't honestly even know where to start. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I mean, you know, look, when we set out to do this, we wanted to talk to you about being a car reviewer, but there is about a I million know, other know. things we could it, talk yeah. about. I want to go back for a second, though. You, you just mm-hmm. you just sort of hit me with that comment there. Um, and it's going to resonate with a lot of people. And that is mm-hmm. about your feelings when you lost your sight the second time, essentially yeah. lost your sight the second time or completely. Yeah. yeah. You said you wanted to end it. Um, what What drove you to that thought? At that stage, considering yeah. everything that you had gone through, all the, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about the experience of learning Braille, you talked about the, mm-hmm. the experience of being educated with the computer, and, you yeah. know, you, you had all the skills, essentially, you yeah. were kind of, and you were even mentally preparing yourself for it, yet yeah. when it happened, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what changed in your mind? So, for the second time, it was like an activator. Yeah. I was like... Um, it was inevitable. This was coming. I, I never knew how it, it would manifest, but it's here. Um, all I can do is try ground myself and try position myself the way I had I had uh, prepared myself. Um, and it actually it made me realize that the easiest thing, which is also the hardest thing that anyone can do uh, at such a difficult point in life is accept who you are and what you are. And that is what I did. I embraced fully my disability. And I now, um, if we compare that with the first time, first time even handling stigma, it was very difficult. Uh, I'd get hurt very easily by people uh, making mean comments. But the second time, oh my God, um, I think I was, I was, I was this like, Thanos kind of uh, figure trying to conquer anything that was coming my way. And I knew for a fact, because by the time I was doing law, I wanted to advocate for the rights of persons with disabilities. And I knew that uh, this, this is for a reason. The reason why I'm even like blind and, you know, it doesn't happen that, you know, you know how people say you can't be struck by lightning second time. And if it happens, then maybe it's bad luck or something. Um, I didn't take it as a, a bad omen or, you know, sort of like witchcraft, all that, because we have all those misconceptions and myths. I, I took it as a way of life. Um, I asked myself, why not me? Because the first time I asked myself, why me? God, like I was asking God, why me? Why, why, why does it have, have to happen to me rather than anyone else? But the second time I was like, why not me? You know, there's a reason why um, I've, I've gone through all these struggles and emerged um, victorious in one way or another, or even overcome these challenges. And I was like, this is it. You know, there's nothing we can do. We can't change nothing. Went to um, a few hospitals and they told me, yep. So the time we were telling you and what we told you about uh, your condition being genetic, this is it manifesting. and. There's nothing we can do. It's, it's irreversible. Um, and now uh, all you can do is try ad- adapt to the, to the new world. And I was like, oh, uh, it's been a long time coming. So <laughs> here we are. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it, 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 it's yeah. interesting because we talk a lot on our show about acceptance. And I think that that's a very difficult word because there's a sense that acceptance is a final stage and it's not it's it's just it is still part you're still on the journey you you just yeah you're, you're at a different stage you feel a little you can and allow yourself easy. to be confident it's not easy at all no it's not yeah yeah it's not right, easy let's let's talk about yeah. fun things let's talk about cars now you love cars <laughs> yeah i am fascinated yes, I by this because you know i was interested in cars as a kid yeah. i don't know why i because I, again i couldn't drive so it didn't make any sense to me but yeah. that's not really the point yeah. is it it's not about that for you yeah it's not it's not. um so I'm going to ask you a question a sighted person would ask you, because I know the audience might be thinking it. And yeah. that is, what does a blind person get yeah. out of cars? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, I'll answer with uh, like two words, then try expound. For me, it's all about touch and feel. Touch and feel. So all the mental visuals that I consumed um, while low vision. I interpret that into tactile touch. Uh, like on the cars, I'll touch the body panels, different contours, different body lines, 
to distinguish uh, the difference between, say, a Subaru and a Mitsubishi Evo. Um, and it's because I really had this passion. I still have it. It burns in me. And I really am curious about, you know, say, the direction of uh, Mazda in the next five years, um, where Mazda has come from and why they position themselves to compete with the likes of Toyota and Honda. And that is what drives me to actually learn and go deeper into what, what does it take for a V6 engine to actually have a different note to a V8 engine and what components are there, uh, power output, what does it take for a turbocharge to actually bring out power and compared to a naturally aspirated engine, what would be the difference? You know, so it's the, the, the small things that people don't think about. Because for me, if a car like passes and like a, I'm keen on listening, I'll tell you on what gear it is at or what speed it's traveling at. We're in a car. I'll tell you different corners of Nairobi because I know the whole layout by just orientation and approximations and all those uh, elevations, gradient, all that taking into consideration like bumps, the, the, uh, speed bumps and corners and, you know, hill climbing and coming down, all that. So when I'm in a car, for me, it's not just about the ride. It's about the connection with the ground, the environment, the immersion of it. How does it, uh, how does it feel being on speeds of 60 kilometers per hour as compared to 100 kilometers per hour? What comes with that? How do you control the car? when you're at high speeds, all that. I, I think it's a lot and I have my own ways of doing things, but also it's how, how I appreciate um, the automotive industry from a different dimension, totally um, because people think of cars as visual, you know, it's mm. the striking colors, you know, the angles, the lines and the body uh, features, but it's, it, there's more to it because even when you get into a car, the, the the feel of the seat and the leather and the material that is used, all that is supposed, you're supposed to take all that and you can't with sight because people miss a lot. And I get into cars and I tell people, oh, your car has some kind fine, like weird kind of noise coming from the engine. And for sure, they go to the mechanic, they're told, yeah, the guy was right. <laughs> <laughs> he figured that out. Yeah. It's amazing the price people put on sight in some respects, isn't it? That they, they put the value so much higher than any other sense. There is Julius telling this person, this is what's wrong, I promise you, this is the issue. And he was right, and no one would believe him. Just amazing, isn't it? It's a fascinating conversation. It continues next here on Double Tap. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. And back today to my conversation with Julius Burra, also known as Julio Supercharge on YouTube. He is a blind car reviewer. And that is the area that, of course, attracted my attention first time I heard about Julius. And uh, was certainly one of the areas I wanted to investigate with him in our interview, which continues today on Double Tap. When you set out to do a car review for yeah. YouTube and you put your videos together, what is it you're aiming to achieve? What are you aiming to tell the viewer? Um, I'm aiming to show them that there's more to, to the world and there's more to perceiving the world than just looking at things. There's more of appreciating like the automotive uh, industry, the cars, the machines, than just what you look at and you don't judge, you know, uh, cars or people by just what you look at. There is more to it. it. It needs to strike a feeling inside you. Even when you're going to buy a car, you don't don't just buy because of convenience. You can have yeah, you can have convenience because you have like this range of uh, uh, money that you're willing to spend or what whatever you can afford. But also in that amount of money, you can get so many options. And those options, you make decisions following your heart. 
So you don't, just don't use the physical side. You use the inner vision. And that is what normally I use. So I make people appreciate cars from a different, totally different world and to make them understand that uh, disability is not a limitation. It does not limit me in any way. And pushing boundaries is all I'm, I'm about, you know, uh, putting myself out of the comfort zone to, you know, learn the next big thing, the next, you know, and to improve myself for growth. And I imagine you get lots of different feedback. I imagine yes. it's, I can only imagine you get a mixture of, of either, Reactions. wow, you're so inspirational, and <laughs> yeah. also, what the hell are you doing near a car? Yeah, um, true. Tell me about that. Tell me about that experience, what, what you get and how you feel about that. So I, I took the automotive scene by a storm when I started. And people are very skeptical. How How is it that this guy can, can actually tell differences? And I've done a lot of challenges, you can imagine. Uh, going for interviews even, and uh, the host will be like, can, can we go outside and actually uh, sample cars? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And they actually do this knowing very well that for them, they think they're putting stumbling blocks for me. But uh, I have learned so much and immersed myself into so much scenarios that I, the chances of me missing a car would be like 2% out of 100. Like every like 10 cars I, I, I touch and feel, I'd miss like one of them or two. Because maybe that design or model Maybe it's very old or it's very purely new that I haven't like read about it because even now that I uh, I am blind, I consume my articles in you know soft copy materials. I go online research and do all that, but I also have the kind of car reviewers that I follow because they get in depth about cars, and people still to this day they they still don't believe like. You know, it, it, it is a lot for them to take that a blind person can actually even drive. And uh, yeah, so like, I think four weeks ago, I actually crashed my car, <laughs> but the bumper only. So uh, <laughs> normally when I'm driving, I, I put the, the front windows down because I want to feel the response of the wheels and the ground. And I don't put like music, um, uh, like high volume. So this time, I was stupid enough to to be on full blast on like and and my windows were way way up, so I couldn't feel the response and like I took a corner too early <laughs> and I was reversing, so I just had like a crash, and that's the first time I've ever crashed, but luckily enough, it was my car uh people have entrusted me with uh i think the the most expensive car was. A 15 million Kenya shillings car. That's like how, like how much? Like, uh, I don't know. Like, 150? I don't know. If you convert that into dollars or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, how, how does that to tell me about the driving side? How does yeah. that work? Have you got someone with you or are you on your own in the car? Yeah. So, now uh, now that I'm totally blind, I, I need someone with me as a, on, on the passenger seat. To just tell me, you know, come to my side, you know, um, there's a bump ahead, especially like roads that I'm not uh, like fully familiar with. But also like uh, like in my state, because I know all the corners and bumps and, you know, all the potholes, I can easily like drive and cruise at very low speeds. But again, I can't drive on public roads. That's the thing. I, I drive on back roads. Uh, normally I'll have my wife or my friend with me. Uh, or sibling uh, to just you know uh, direct me to the right directions and I've attained speeds of even 50 kilometers per hour so it's amazing I mean I, I had my own experience oh, I ride it. bikes also yeah <laughs> you, you absolutely terrify <laughs> me um, so <laughs> I wouldn't go on a push bike that's that's the problem for me I would just yeah. be terrified on that uh, but it's interesting because when I was when I was in Ghana I remember we were in a, a taxi going somewhere um, for, I guess from one place to another, and the guy said, "We'll take the back roads," and we drove through these roads, and I can only describe them as it was just like driving through a swamp. And every single, you know, you had to basically navigate these huge holes yeah. in the road. Is yeah. it similar with yeah. you there? Is it a similar kind of road? Um. So yeah, parts of uh, Nairobi they're really bad with roads, 
but also we have parts like the CBD and the adjacent like small towns. The, the road network has been improved over a couple of years. But we, uh, when you start going up country, the road the road network gets bad and bad and worse every time. So some you get to a road that is totally totally like full of rocks and uh, no tarmac, no it's not accessible at all. So um, going those directions, you, you need either a four by four car or a car that is that has good amount of uh, center of gravity. Yeah. So you're you're a lawyer as well. Yeah, yeah. And and that's my we profession. Haven't even, and that's and we haven't even touched on that yet. But you know, yeah, you're a lawyer, yeah. and yeah, you know, I'm just wondering, is that useful when you know you eventually do bump the car into someone else's car? As you can represent yourself <laughs> in court. <laughs> So it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I just crashed into my uh, gate pillar, so uh, th- th- that that can soon. But uh, <laughs> the lawyering side, um, I use it for my daily work. Mm. Uh, the organization I work for, I'm the head of legal department and also advocacy. So I I, I also like mentor kids in schools. We have computer labs in different schools. We're in six schools now for the blind. And uh, we set up the labs to just teach them how to use technology uh, to open their world up. Yeah. And that, of course, is, I guess, very personal to you as well, because that's the journey you were on. Yes. And I was very intentional even choosing my career. I I was in a law firm for two years. Um, I practiced and I was like, this is not the life I want. I want to make an impact in someone's life. This is not it for me. And I use now um, the lawyering side to get into policy. Uh, last year, we launched the first ever ICT accessibility, accessibility standard, first of its kind in Africa, the whole of Africa, so you can imagine it's a big deal. And uh, we adopted the EN301549 policy on accessibility uh, of products and services. Yeah, so um, I, I tried, uh, and th- this is what I told myself, if I can't, uh, if I can't get what I want or uh, the, the kind of uh, dignity I should get as a person with a disability, I'll make sure that I will fight the system to the end and make policies in place, tear the constitution in and out. That's why I chose law. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, that's yeah. incredible work. Um, I want to ask you just a little bit about the future because there's one aspect of all our lives, and maybe this is more certainly in the U.S. at the moment. I don't think it's really spreading beyond the U.S. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But that is, of course, the the desire, the dream for a lot of people, and for blind people especially, mm-hmm. at driverless cars. Oh and, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, it's yeah. fascinating, isn't it? Because you know we're yeah. kind of getting to a point where you know people. Will... Tesla is doing a great job with that. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, isn't it interesting that you know we're kind of getting to a place where you know you reviewing cars. Yeah, could actually become a career in itself because yeah. blind people could also potentially be buying cars. I know, I know, I know. I'll be on the forefront. So what? Yeah. Would, what does that? How do you feel about that? I mean, I, I, it does feel a bit of a long way off, but to, yeah. to that stage. But how do yeah. you feel about the future of, of driverless cars and what that could mean for us? I feel like it. It is an equalizer. Uh, first thing, uh, because it, it actually gives people who even are low vision, people who have sight problems, to actually have a bit of help, assistance to navigate. And this this I can't take for granted because, uh, say, 20 years ago, we we couldn't be talking about, you know, autonomy of cars and driverless cars. Now, um, I know the the next big thing is uh, cars going electric, fully electric. But I feel like after that, the next big thing will be driverless cars. Because if you look at even the way the mapping is done for navigation, even the Google map itself, they are really advancing on uh, the georeferencing to make sure that at any given point, you get real-time information on what are you supposed to do on the next time or the next you know stop or the next bump like that. So... It will take a bit of time because even the infrastructure in Kenya or Africa, it's not as advanced. But I feel strongly that um, when we get there, um, oh my God, it will be revolutionary. I don't need to employ a driver uh, to take me around. I can actually like 
put coordinates of where I'm going and the car will drive itself there. And also the semi-autonomy also we can help a lot because if you have the, the cameras mounted in the right positions, I can actually, the assistance that I get from the, the person that I drive with, I can get that from, you know, the AI and, you know, real-time, really good quality cameras and they can scan the road ahead of me and tell me, you know, take a left in the next, you know, turn and, you know, reduce your speed to 20 kilometers per hour or increase your speed to be on the speed limit or something like that, you know. It's really mind-blowing and I, I I can't wait to to get there. I wish and hope and pray that I'll be there. <laughs> I can actually, yeah. And that's a point as well you you raise about infrastructure because, yeah. of course, that is a big part of all of this. And, yeah, you is. know, even in developed countries, the, the mm-hmm. infrastructure is still not right. So I just wonder from your perspective in mm-hmm. Kenya, you know, how far off are you? I mean, where, where are you, for example, on your on your mobile networks, on your, your broadband networks? I guess cities are covered, but what about rural areas? What about, you know, when you get up, you know, into the, the, the country, essentially? Yeah. So, um, when you when you're in towns like the urban areas, um, it's really good even for like the broadband uh, and also uh, internet connectivity, uh, different apps. For me, I use like five different apps to navigate. Like especially when I'm going for hikes, you know, outdoor activities, and um, this becomes a problem when you start going into the country uh, because first of all, network is a problem, and also um, the the exposure that has hasn't get gotten there yet. Because uh, people in the upcountry will be more concerned with what they'll eat or how they'll fend for, you know, their cattle, uh, their, you know, uh, livestock, rather than uh, looking for expensive tech. So for, especially, uh, I normally tell people, for a person with disability, for you to be at par with the society, it's very expensive. Because for me to be, to be on the same level with someone who's sighted, I need like five different devices. I need a laptop with a screen reader, you know, uh, for me to access something that they would access actually on their phones. I need a phone that has good screen reader accessibility features that uh, for them, it's it's a non-issue because they can get, you know, a very low cost phone and actually do everything that you need to do with a phone. I need uh, other sort of assistive technology uh, to just get by. So, it's a struggle that they don't understand. And um, for us to get there, it, it will take a while. It will take a while. I, I would say we are, we are like 40%. Um, but it, it really also warms up my heart that they are taking it positively. And you see, like the politicians, especially the leaders who are in charge of even the infrastructure, um, sometimes we challenge them and they take it up and you feel that they, they have they have the the right intentions, but um, it's a lot of back and forth. So, yeah, but we'll get there. Yeah, it, I mean, that's another point as well. Um, mm. You know, here in in the UK, as I sit here, I yeah. talk about oh the new iPhones out and oh the new whatever, <laughs> and and I, and I get very excited. And I actually spoke to someone from your country yeah. at a Microsoft event, yeah. and she was telling me she she got quite stern with me. She said. It's all very well for you sitting there, you know, mm-hmm. espousing about which iPhone should I have. She said, but in my country, I don't have that, as, or at least as much choice. I mean, I have the option to buy, yeah. but a lot of the people in the country don't have the option have to the buy. Option. They don't have the, the funds, the, the means. They, they don't have the money power. So I'd say um, in, in Africa, uh, even education, a uh, person who has a disability getting education, it takes a lot because also the, the family has to give the person a, the support they need. Again, if you, if you have a family of, uh, say, four or five kids, uh, only one who's blind, uh, you find that the parents will call, like prioritize the kids who don't have disability in the family uh, to the one who's blind because the notion is you need so much to maintain someone who's blind or has any kind of a disability, which is a wrong notion, because then you lock them out from opportunities, educational uh, and career-wise employment, all that. From the foundational level, if you don't get the right 
kind of like exposure and define families who lock their kids. And I, I do a lot of active advocacy where I talk about openly about, you know, if you follow my Twitter handle, you'll just see me trying to just put it out there. Just last weekend, I got discriminated. I couldn't get into a hotel, a restaurant, and I have the capability to actually pay, you know. And But the, 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 the negative stigma and mentality that has been attached to disability, it has... Uh, it has made it worse for us to actually climb up the ladder. So hang on, so just, 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 just let me clarify that. You were essentially told yeah. you couldn't go into a restaurant because you were disabled because they think you couldn't pay? Yes. Yes, so they told me we can't allow people of your kind in here because I was with a white cane and with my wife actually as my guide. So what they thought is I'm getting in there into the establishment to actually borrow money from people who are enjoying themselves. And I was asking this person, because he's, he's the person like in charge of like letting in and out like clients. I was like, what makes you think and profile me to be a beggar? What, what criteria are you using? And what makes you think that I don't have the money? If I showed you my balance on my account, you'll be shocked. I can actually foot your salary, you know, but they are still adamant, you know, these are rules that I work with, you know, uh, oh, blah. So I just ended up going to another hotel and actually enjoying myself. But it shows you how deeply rooted the stigma is. We are not seen as equals and we are not seen as people who can be, you know, people who can, you know, have a full life. People even get shocked that I am married, I have a job, you know, and I'm running my day-to-day activities independently. And I also have other things that I'm doing out of passion, like reviewing cars and skating and going for hikes and all that. This is unheard, unheard of for someone who's blind because essentially I'm actually justified to just sit at home and tell my family, you know, I can't do this and that because I'm blind. But it takes personal initiative. It takes, you know, that hunger to, to be more and to succeed in life and to shift perceptions about disability, not only at a personal level, but also at the society level. We are a long way from like realizing disability inclusion, but I'm trying to make small steps with the help of my friends and people around me to make this a, as a reality. And I looked at the situation, especially if I started with the blind, but I'll go to other disability groups. But I, I thought of it as what is the one thing one critical assistive product that these kids at the school level need for their independence and autonomy. And that is the white cane. So I started a campaign, fully fledged campaign to fundraise for uh, money so that we import quality white cans because we don't want to give substandard. And um, my wife actually, it was her birthday wish. So she was like, if we can do this, then at least we can make an impact in their lives. It doesn't matter if we take five or 10 white kids to the school, at least it will make a difference in these kids' lives. Because when they get into the school, they're not given a white cane, which is an essential mobility tool for them to get around and buy. So we have a white cane drive initiative that we are running and we'll be at the school on the 18th of February giving the white cans. So far we have 100 cans. My target is to get to 300 and actually distribute to the school uh, the 80% population of totally blind for their daily mobility and navigation. So, yeah, so that, that is long-term and sustainability that I want to actually impact their lives at the foundational level so that when they are growing up, they know that even the society vouches for their success and there are so many opportunities for them to actually venture into. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, really honored to actually feature on your show and uh, looking forward for a fruitful and very engaging conversation. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Scott. Uh, it, it was an awesome experience having to even chat with someone who's, you know, thousands of kilometers away from me and uh, to, to have to share my story and uh, to show people that disability is not a limitation. And I normally say that uh, the um, 
the ceiling is not uh, the, the sky is not my limit because uh, them I can't see the sky for that matter. So <laughs> really, really great being here. Honestly, the pleasure was all mine, Julius. I had such a good time talking to him, and I really do thank him for coming on to the show and sharing uh, him his story, but also sharing his feelings, sharing his emotions. It was so raw and real, and I really appreciate him uh, coming on to to share all that. The story of him going to the restaurant and being kicked out for essentially being blind, you know, the crime of being blind, I think is going to stay with me for a very long time. You know, we go into restaurants in, in our part of the world, you know, whether it be in the US or Canada or the UK, with a guide dog, and often we're refused entry because people don't understand that guide dogs legally can go into these establishments. But to actually be denied entry because people think you're less than because of your blindness is something I just didn't think would happen today. But it just goes to show that different parts of the world are at different levels of their grasp and of understanding about blindness. It is quite incredible. And a story that, like I say, will stick with me for a very, very long time. Uh, you can find out more about Julius, or Helios, I should say, and uh, Julio Supercharge on his YouTube channel. Just search for Julio Supercharge in uh, YouTube and search online from as well. It's well worth checking out his car reviews. They are brilliant. They're funny. His dancing is excellent. His humor is infectious. His laugh, his passion is infectious as well. So go check him out online. Uh, that is it for me today. Uh, just enough time to tell you that on Monday, we'll be talking about Mastodon, as uh, seems many people in the blind community seem to be uh, using that as a new place to go. Um, it seems that, you know, it might be somewhere we want to check out. So is it the kind of place we should appear as double tap? Well, we'll find out on Monday when we try and find our way into Mastodon. The Elephant in the Room is the title of the show. It's not very clever, really, if you think about it. it's not. I'm sure many people have done it already, but I, uh, I like the title. So we're going to go with that on Monday and lots more besides next week on Double Tap. Thank you so much for your continued listening. It means a lot. And also your feedback as well. Keep it coming. Feedback at doubletaponair.com. You can also get in touch by phone. You can call us one eight seven seven eight zero three four five six seven from landline or mobile. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you on the next Double Tap. Have a great weekend. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.